Today's scripture passage is Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. It can be found on page 21 in the New Testament of the Red Pew Bibles. The little children were being brought to him in order that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to them who brought those who brought them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid his hands on them and went on his way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jeremy. Would you join me in prayer? the end of everything today, God, I pray that we will feel like you have laid your hands on us. That we will have worshipped in a way that lets us know that you have called us up and welcomed us in. Let this be to your purpose and glory. Let your word speak through our words. Guide and be the God, not that we need, but that you are. For it is indeed far more than our fantasy and oftentimes far more than our hope. Speak to us now in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Scriptures seem to suggest the disciples thought about that a lot. There's even scripture that tells us that there was a debate right in front of Jesus on that very topic. Who would be the greatest in heaven? Would it be one of the prophets? Maybe one of the angels? Maybe they even dared to dream it might be one of them. Maybe it's me, they wondered. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they debated these and other questions in front of him and asked of him so many things. And finally one day in the middle of all the conversation about who is important and what must they do and really is it possible that I might be the one? Jesus chose to try to answer them the question. What must you be like to be the greatest in heaven? He said this. M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-C Mickey Mouse Mickey Mouse. All right, so he didn't say Mickey Mouse. Okay, I get it. But he called up the ones in that generation who would have known the equivalent to that song in the first century. Children. He's in the middle of a hot debate with a bunch of people about what it would take to get into this kingdom of heaven. And in the middle of this very important adult conversation, those kinds of parents showed up. You know the type, right? The type who think their kids matter. You know, the ones who think their kids are sort of important. (laughs) 
the ones who are a little bit pushy, like a helicopter pushy. You understand? And they decided to allow their children to break into this very important and adult conversation and try to let their children get close to Jesus. The disciples were appalled, and they attempted to keep the parents and, yes, those children away. Children in the first century were not revered by the overall culture. Oh, they were loved. Let's make sure we know that. They were loved, but they weren't revered. (laughs) They weren't worshipped. They didn't set the agenda. They were expected to be trained and to be taught and were quite frankly looked at as hope for security in the old age of the parents. You know the adage, children are to be seen and not heard? They didn't really even need to be seen in the first century, except around the house. But Jesus, instead of allowing his disciples to keep those kids out, chastised them and said, let the children come to me. And you have this image of Jesus reaching out and Touching children, talking to children, praying for children, maybe even playing with children in the middle of this very adult conversation. He did so because he wanted the adults who were trying so hard to figure out what it would mean to be faithful what it would mean to be holy, and oh yes, what would it mean to be in the kingdom of heaven. He wanted them to understand this, for it is to such as these children that the kingdom belongs. I used to think about the fact that when I would see this this story and read this passage, my mind would go back to those posters we had in Sunday school classrooms of my youth, where Jesus Normally a white Jesus is sitting in the ground, uh, lovingly looking up, smiling and reaching out to hold and hug the children. It was a sweet picture. It was a cute picture. Who wouldn't want to be that kind of Jesus? Who wouldn't want to be with that kind of Jesus? But this story is more than just a sweet Jesus reaching up for some children. This moment of him embracing the children is a statement to all of the adults around I'm here for the children. I'm here for all of you who are my children. I'm here for the child within you that you have forgotten. And that's where my mind went as I watched Saving Mr. Banks in the theaters this past Tuesday. Mr. Banks is a story of how Mary Poppins, a movie that, yes, I'm old enough to remember when it previewed in 1964. Mary Poppins, a song which I, in my childhood, thought was a happy movie. (laughs) Just light, and you know, I'm like the kids when they sing Spoonful of Sugar. I get the chorus strong, and I really enjoy singing some parts of some of the songs of Mary Poppins. But we discovered to get this movie to the silver screen was a more, more dramatic moment than we, I, first thought. 
The movie depicts P.L. Travers, the author of a series of books. Did you know that? A series of books on Mary Poppins. Uh, back popular in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, stories written that were of great comfort to generations of children to get those stories on the silver screen. And P.L. Travers fought for 20 years to not give the rights of this book over to Walt Disney so he could make the movie. We discover through the movie that this story of Mary Poppins was not simply a creation of her mind, but rather a reflection of her own childhood. A childhood raised in Australia, a childhood, as the movie depicts, with a father who was creative and loving and nurturing and whom she loved deeply. But he was flawed, and his battle with alcoholism took his life at a very early age. In fact, historically, it is true that P.L. Travers did lose her father when she was seven years of age, and his death plundered his, her mother and the rest of her siblings into poverty. But the death of her father left her scarred throughout her adulthood and left her, not uncommon for children, adult children of alcoholics, feeling guilty, somewhat to blame. And she struggled with that guilt the rest of her life in a way which made her less than cuddly. She was an edgy lady. She was not easy to get along with, strongly opinionated, and willing to battle even the people like Disney in her life. And in the movie, Disney spends a great deal of time mystified by this woman who's making everything so difficult, impossible demands on this movie that they want to make. The battle between the two of them shows an interesting battle between this tycoon Walt Disney, himself a creative genius, and P.L. Travers, obviously a creative writer, but who were not going to come together no matter what Disney tried to make happen. At the end of the movie, near the end of the movie, P.L. Travers has left to go back to England in frustration, not giving the rights to Disney. The movie will not be made. And if you saw the movie, do you remember the scene there in the living room over that pot of tea? Where Disney chases after her in the next plane over and there in her living room in England, sits down and begins to have a conversation with her. He begins by telling her a story about his childhood, about his father, Elias Disney, who was a rather demanding, strong man in Missouri who made both uh, Walt and his brother Roy go out and peddle papers in the cold, brutal snows and winters. And he told about the difficulty of that time in his life, and it was a very poignant moment when, when uh, Walt releases some truth about some of the pain he's carried from his childhood. And then he turns and he speaks to P.L. Travers. Aren't you tired of living a life dictated by the past? You're right. Mary Poppins does not come to save the children. She comes to save the father, to redeem the father, your father, Travis Goff. You must have admired and loved him a lot to take his name. Forgiveness, Mrs. Travers, is what I've learned from your books. I, she says, do not need to forgive my father. No, no, you need to forgive Helen Goff, 
yourself. Life is a harsh sentence to give yourself. Trust me. Trust me with her. Trust me with her as I make a movie out of her that every time a person walks into a movie house, they will see Mr. Banks being saved. They will love him and his kids. They will weep for him, and they will rejoice and sing. When he flies that kite, he will be honored. George Banks will be redeemed. It is what we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination. We install hope again and again and again. Disney wants to make a picture. You can decide how much he really wanted to redeem Mrs. Travers's wounds or whether or not he was more focused on making the movie. But as I heard this dialogue last Tuesday, my thought went to Jesus with the children. He wanted to show the children that they were loved. He wanted to let the children know that they were important. And as he embraced the children, he also hoped that the adults gathered around would get this message too. If the children were important, then maybe they could finally discover what was important about them. They were important too. They were welcomed into the kingdom too. The kingdom of God because simply they were loved by God. They were loved by God who knew their strengths and their weaknesses. They were loved by God when they were lovable and when they were grumpy. They did not belong to the kingdom of heaven because they had earned it, because they had found a way in, or because they were better than those other people. Those are adult kinds of thoughts. No, the adults around Jesus need to learn that they belong to the kingdom of heaven because Jesus had come to be with them. It was because Jesus loved them that they were welcomed in. It was that simple. It's, that, it's true for the children, and that's true for the adults. If saving Mr. Banks is about childhoods reclaimed and redeemed, which I think it is, then I think this movie helps us get to the point of Jesus' message here in Matthew 18 and 19. Jesus has come to redeem our childhood, our children, and the child within us. We are children of God, no matter what our age. Some of us have childhoods that we treasure. Some of us have wounds that we still carry. Some of us have a hard time understanding each other because we didn't know each other as children and we don't know what others' childhood was like. You understand what I mean, of course? Have you met those grumpy, mean, sad people? Do you know why they're that way? Do you know their story? It's interesting that uh, this past week I listened to, to a voice talk about some people and pretty well draw large conclusions about who these people are and what they're like. And I asked, have you ever met any of these people? And they had met two or three and could tell me the flaws of these two or three. Okay, I said. 
That tells you about those two or three. What do you know about those people? You see, I think Jesus is telling us that as adults, we have this tendency to forget that everyone else had a childhood too. Everyone else is walking around with foundations given to them as children, with wounds given to them as children, and we are raised into our adulthood in many ways, either trying to emulate that which we loved or that which we wanted to have loved as a child, or hide and run away from that which has wounded us in the past. And so on some days we're grumpy for reasons we do not know why. On some days we are intolerable, and we do not know why, though we give many of reasons and excuses. Jesus was simply trying to say to us, to all of us, it's in your childhood. You are all children. All of us are children. And the Jesus who sat down with the children in the middle of this adult theological conversation is saying simply this. I've come to save the children and you adults who somehow thought you were no longer children. You are God's child. They whoever they are, are God's children. That's where the salvation begins. That's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. Because it's your home. It's your home where you are loved and redeemed. As I was preparing for this sermon several weeks back, I started doing background study on it, and I found very quickly, and you can find it too later today if you want, that on the Internet there's an awful lot of conversation about the fact that this movie is not entirely historically accurate. Well, I'm so shocked to hear that. <laughs> that P.L. Travers and Disney's relationship was even more antagonistic than the movie depicts that she did literally cry through the showing of Mary Poppins, yes, a showing that she was not invited to, yes, but she wept because she was mad at how Disney had destroyed her Mary Poppins. And you hear all kinds of stories about how Disney was perhaps not as sympathetic towards P.L. Travers as he was depicted in the movie. And so there seems to be an attempt to make sure we both know that what we saw up on the screen, that neither of those people were near, not nearly as nice in real life as we think they were because we saw the movie. Well, guess what? Color me shocked. <laughs> That's like saying, you know, those people who go to church aren't nearly as nice at home as they are in church. It's as if somehow we, we don't dare want to make people understand something about someone unless we make sure we make them understand the worst about them, too. Of course, Disney, nor P.L. Travers, were everything the movie said they were. I've never been everything I've wanted to say I was either. And yet... P.L. Travers, with all of her flaws, 
allowed a spark of creativity to occur in her life to write stories about a woman named Mary Poppins who blessed generations of children who read about her until 1964 I began to sing Spoonful of Sugar and felt blessed too. Walt Disney, for whatever flaws he might have had, did in fact create the happiest place on earth where children matter most regardless of their age and where those of us who have left our childhood behind are beckoned once again to let it come out and play with large mice and princesses. They were imperfect, talented, blessed people who came together. You and I are imperfect, flawed, less than perfect people whom God has blessed and brought together and invited us to come together into this happiest place on earth, this place we call the kingdom of God, a place where all the children are welcome, where all the children are embraced and loved by the one who came to love them, who died for them, and who lives for them forever. Welcome into a home that's filled with all of the wonders that any childhood and imagination could ever think of and even more. A place where weary and flawed adults, too, are welcome to come lay down their pain and their prejudice and their sins so that as the children of God, we can all play in the kingdom together. Yes, and even get along. To get into this kingdom requires more than a spoonful of sugar. It takes the realization and acceptance that you're welcomed in just because you are loved. You are cared for. So are whoever they are. And we are invited to be recipients of the never-ending grace and to hear that greatest storytelling of all time, the story I keep saying every week and will for the rest of my life. Because, you see, I want to be a storyteller, too, who helps redeem, reclaim, and call out the child who needs God to discover that God needs them too. Amen.